0: man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. absolute grace of the last song that we sang together. Oh, how he loves us. Uh, our problem is we translate that into the sappy, sugary, sickeningly sweet definitions of love that that pass among us in our society today. Uh, we have this idea that we know what love is. It's this marvelous feeling, and... Uh, say that God loves us, it's all about warm fuzzies, and, and we're really uh, very happy that God loves us. It, it's an amazing thing, but have you stopped to think about what happens in order for you to sing, oh, how he loves us. Oh, how the one who is the creator of the universe, who hung the stars in space, Who set the sun in its proper position, who spun the planets around the solar system, who looks upon the galaxies like marbles in a child's hand. This creator of the universe who has all wisdom and knowledge, who knows everything about you who knows not just the person you put in front of others that would be admirable, but he knows about the person you hide from others, of which you're just a little bit ashamed. This God who has all wisdom and all knowledge about your life, and he knows not just the the, the problems you've had in the past; he knows what you're struggling with now. This God who knows everything about you and has all wisdom is also the holy God. The The righteous God, the God who is absolutely good, in whom there is no mixture of evil or error or darkness at all, this God who created the universe is all-loving, all-powerful, all-wisdom, who knows everything about you. He loves you. That's not a simple thing. It's not a simple thing. Let's see if I can explain it uh, a little bit this way. The background music of the universe is the holiness of God. The background music that's playing all the time is the holiness of God. Um, uh, years ago, I used to go to movies. I haven't been a movie si- to a movie since uh, the Star Wars in 82, which was uh, Return of the Jedi. Huh? That was 83. It was still Return of the Jedi. That was the last movie I saw at a theater. I've seen them on DVDs, and I feel justified in not spending my money in the theaters. But, but you know, when you, you, when you watch a movie, what, what's one of the things they have? Background music. What does the background music in, the, in, in, in a movie do? You know, what does it do? It, that background music sort of drives the story forward in a way that you're not even aware of. I mean, you sort of like know that, it, that when the music is going, da 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 this is not a happy thing. <laughs> you know? And you know, when it's, um-pa, pa um-pa, um, pa, um pa, you know, we're gonna be happy. I mean, the music conveys the flow of the story without you even being aware of it. It's in the background, but they give out Oscars for it because it's just that important. Folks, the background music to the universe is the holiness of God. That which sets the course and the meaning and the depth and the definition of the universe is the very holiness of God. That's why the universe was brought into being to display the holiness of God so that when you looked at the world around you, you would just stop and say, holy, 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 that's, that's all I can say. I, I mean, the, the, the weight and the majesty of the glory of God takes my breath away, you would sing, holy, holy is he. Because that's the background music of the universe. That's that's really what it's all about. The question is, why don't we hear it? Why don't we see it? Why is it we look at the universe and we don't see the glory of God? We don't see the holiness and majesty of God. We look at the universe and we see sickness and illness and problems. We see warfare. We see prejudice. We see bigotry. We see illness and disease. Uh, We see all these things surrounding us and we think, theologically, I know there's a glory of God here somewhere, but we look at it, we don't See it. What happens? The glory of God, the holiness of God is the background music of the universe, and we don't hear it. And the reason we don't hear it is because our first parents who were set into the garden, who were listening to the holiness and the glory of God constantly. Every day they had an appointment to walk with their Creator through the garden in the cool of the day. And as they walked with their Creator, they would see, experience, hear the holiness of God. That's what they were created for, that's what we're created for, but our first parents decided that they'd rather listen to a different station. They decided they didn't want to hear the holiness of God. And so when the temptation came to them, they decided, I know better. My feelings are more important. I can figure this out myself. And so deciding that what God had said was not nearly as important than what they were feeling and thinking at the moment, they took of the fruit, they ate it, they sinned against God, and they were filled with guilt and with shame. They were alienated from one another, and they were alienated from God, and they stopped hearing the holiness of God in the music of the universe. At that moment... They lost the holiness of God. Now, the word for that is sin. We, uh, we don't want to talk about sin. I mean, we don't like talking about sin. Isn't sin old-fashioned? Isn't, isn't, that, that's what people used to talk about. People used to talk about sin before we learned about psychology. Before we learned about sociology, before we learned about anthropology, before we learned all these things that explain why people are the way they are, why they do what they do, we we now have scientific explanations that allow us to put human behavior into the context that, that we would prefer. We don't really want to talk about sin because, after all, that's antiquated. We just want to talk about childhood issues, you know problems in life that come because of social injustices. You know, these things are real. But we don't want to hear that the problem is sin, that we have rejected our Creator and we have rejected the one about whom is the universe. So we don't hear the holiness of God, and it's because of our sin. I think that's what was bothering Paul when he wrote to the Galatians. Um, he'd sat down in his room, pulled out the papyri, had the quill, pen, ready to go. He said, wait a minute, I need some background music. So he reached up uh, to, to the uh, thing. I don't know, what would it have been? And he turns on some background music and it's all about the holiness of God. It's all about being in the temple and overwhelmed with his glory and, and seeing him high and lifted up. Seeing that holy, holy, holy is he. If you, if you want an S-A-T word for that, it's trisagion. Trisagion, just two Greek words. It means three times holy. God is holy. No, he is holy of holies. No, he is the holy of holy of holies. He is holy infinitesimally holy. And Paul puts that in the background as he's writing to these Galatians. And the reasons he's writing to them is because they had heard the gospel, they had received the gospel, they had come to know the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, And Paul had left them in good shape, knowing and experiencing the holiness of God through the Son by faith, having received the gospel. But now some people have come into the Galatian churches and they're saying, you know what Paul said about Jesus? That's Not enough. What Paul told you about just having faith in Christ and being washed in the blood of the Lamb who died for you on the cross, that's fine. That gets you started. That gets you in the door. But now there's some things you need to do. After all, don't you remember, Jesus was a Jew. The Jews are God's chosen people. They are the elect. And so if you are going to really experience what God has in store for you, you need now to identify with the covenant people of God, the children of Israel. That means now you need to observe circumcision, diet laws, Sabbath laws. You need to be keeping the law, keep this this checklist of morality, because what Jesus did, for you Gentiles in Galatia was. He made it possible for you now to live like a Jew. And that's what you really need to do because after all, the Jews are the chosen people. They are. And what bothered Paul about that was that these teachers, these false teachers coming into Galatia had taken the gospel and they had added to it and they had altered it and they had changed it and they had pressed it out of shape and deformed it so that his readers were no longer experiencing the holiness of God through the Son, but they were knocking themselves out, trying to be religious enough that God might start to love them again. And they were being frustrated. So there's no way Paul can let that go. That's why he writes the letter to the Galatians. He's writing about what is the authentic gospel, what is the the, the real gospel, not the man-made, man-changed, man-altered gospel, but what is the gospel that is given to us in Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about in the letter to the Galatians. That's why we're going to be reading it, to get this authentic gospel in front of us. So we turn again to uh, Galatians chapter 1. We start at verse 1 again. And uh, Paul, an apostle, by the way, my boys made fun of me that I didn't get that far last week before I started uh, making comments. Don't blame me. Blame Paul. Look at the way this works. Look at the way this works. says, Paul, an apostle, wait a minute. These people need to know, I'm not an apostle because of what man has done. I'm not an apostle because somebody thought I would do good at this. I'm not an apostle because somebody had a a job and and they they hired me for it. I'm not an apostle through men or because of a man. No, I'm an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Wait a minute, God the Father, Jesus Christ, who raised Him from the dead. You see what's happening with Paul? He says, I'm an apostle, but that means, but that means, and that means... So don't blame me. I'm in good company. Not through men, not through a man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. All the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, that's all Paul needs to say. I mean, the the way you start a letter is you just say, here's who I am. I'm writing to you. Hey, how you doing? Seriously, all he had to say was, Paul, to the churches of Galatia grace and peace. He obviously does more than that, why? Because whenever, you know, he gets rolling into this, just the things start coming at him and start coming into his mind. And it's like he says, you know, I'm not gonna wait till chapter three before I tell you about the gospel. I'm not gonna wait until, uh, you know, later on in the letter before I get this in front of you. I want you to have it from the very beginning, from the very start. First thing he mentions, what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're gonna see this morning. Second thing he mentions is what? The death of Jesus Christ. What does he mention? He mentions this is the will of God delivering us trauma, present evil age, grace to us, glory to God the Father. You know, all this is going on in Paul's mind. Why? Because the background music of the holiness of God is just filling his thoughts as he's writing. You see how that's going here? So that's why we're reading it. So Paul, an apostle, not for men, through men, but through Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead. All the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. From the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. You know, it's not all the time that you find one verse in the Bible that has the entire gospel in it. Galatians 1.4, the whole gospel right there. Yeah. Who would have thought it? There it is. I want you to notice a couple of things about it. The first thing we've already talked about, it says, Jesus who gave himself for our sin. Sin is rebellion against God. It's, it, it's either active rebellion where you actually say, God, I really don't want you in my life. God, I know that you say this is what I should do. I'm going to do this where you say, God, I know you have this claim on my life. I don't care for that. I'm going my own way. It's active rebelling against the will of God, but it is also passive indifference to the will of God. It's going to God and saying, you know, I just don't care. It just doesn't matter to me what God says. Even if he says it, I'm not going to do it. See, sin is the condition of the human heart that says, God is not going to be God in my life. I'll speak well of him. On special occasions, when I go to church, I will even talk about him. But you know, my life, by and large, I'm going to live apart from him. And without taking him into consideration, I might have some acknowledgement of God, but as sovereign master and Lord over my life, no, that's what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God, either actively or passively through indifference. Now, one of the first things that happens when the gospel is altered is that we take out the element of sin. We just don't want to talk about sin. And so we talk about Jesus meek and mild, Jesus who pats little children on the head, Jesus who goes to the outcasts and the downtrodden, those who are on the margins of life and brings them in. Oh, by the way, he just loves you and he'll just hug you and bring you into the kingdom. You don't really need to change much. Uh, you know, Jesus just loves you the way you are, and you don't have to change your life. Uh, just, just uh, you know, how he loves you and me and that kind of thing. Here's the deal. The cross is the demonstration of the love of God for us. Romans 5, 8 says that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the cross is the demonstration of the love of God. This sovereign, holy, righteous God who created the universe, he loves us and he shows us that love in the cross. This is a marvelous message, but so often what we do is we take that message, Romans 5, 8, we say God chose his love for us and that Christ died for us. We must be wonderful people. We must be marvelous people. Look at that. Jesus died for us. Look how great we are. Talk about positive self-image. Talk about high levels of self-esteem. Jesus died for me. I must be really important. Let's read the whole verse, Romans 5:8, together. God demonstrates his love toward us in that, what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us when we were ugly in our sins unlovable in our sins, when we were reprehensible in our sins, when we were absolutely loathsome to our all-righteous and holy God in our sins. It's when we were precisely not worthy that Jesus died for us and died for our sins. It was there on the cross that he took the weight, the burden of our sin. You see, the, the wages of our sin is death. What we deserve because we sin, we deserve to die. We also earn and merit the wrath of God. And so the wrath and the judgment of God and the death that sin engenders, all that is ours. When Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place. He did not deserve to die. We deserve to die. He died in our place so that we might live. He did not deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the wrath of God. The wrath of God was put upon him, not upon us, so that we might enjoy and know the presence of God. Punishment and the guilt and the weight of our sin did not belong to him, but God made him sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. And what that means is that when we come into the presence of God, we've done that this morning. And if, if, if you haven't experienced the fact that you're in the presence of God, lift up your heads. Open your eyes, put down the app, and, you know, actually realize we are in the presence of God. But as we stand and sit this morning in the presence of God, it is not by our merit. It is not by our righteousness. It is by the merit and the righteousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason we can stand here in the presence of God. That's what he has done for us. And if you take out sin, if you don't realize that it is the sin problem that Jesus overcomes on the cross, then you are left with a cross that is an inspiring story but not very uh, effective in changing lives because sin is the root problem in our lives. I've known enough crazy people to know that therapy does some good. Been through therapy myself, of sorts. You know, but look, the ultimate problem isn't that I had a bad childhood. My problem isn't that that my parents were messed up and they messed me up. My problem is that I've sinned against an all-holy, righteous, sovereign God. And that's what's made my life uh, broken and wounded. And until you deal with the sin problem, all you're doing is glossing over the symptoms, until you get down to the sin problem. So that's the first part of the gospel is that Jesus gave his life. He gave up himself for our sins. Second thing I want for us to notice is at the end of that verse, says, uh, ver- this is verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father according to the will of our God and Father. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, on the way to the cross. And he prayed, Father, if there's any way possible for this cup, this, this cross, this agonizing death, if there's any way to remove it from me. But Father, what did he pray? Not my will but thine be done. You see, God's will to save us resides in the eternity of his counsels. God's will to save us resides in the eternity of who he is. It's not as though God looked down from heaven, he saw the world messed up, he says, I had no idea. Look what those folks are up to. I had no idea that was going to happen. What should we do? Turns to his son. Said, son, what should we do? Well, father, I think I should go to the cross and and die for them. God says, no, no, you don't understand. I'm a God of wrath. Ah, but I'm a God of love. I'm a God of wrath. I'm a God of love. What do we do? No, there is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God, one will, one nature, one essence, and this one God wills to save us by the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the Father's will for you. Now, one of the things that means is this gospel never changes. It didn't change before the creation of the universe, and it's not going to change after it's brought to its consummation. This gospel did not change before you were born. It hasn't changed since you've been alive. And if Jesus tarries, it's not going to change after you die. This gospel is unchanging. It is one gospel, it is the gospel that saved Paul out of his smug, self-righteous religiosity on the road to Damascus. That same gospel saved the Galatians from their pagan immorality. That same gospel has saved people for 2,000 years. That same gospel saved me when I heard it as a child. And this same gospel that we proclaim today is the gospel that saves you. It is that God the Father willed that his son Jesus would die on the cross for your sins and be raised up from the dead, declaring victory over death and sin. And because of the death and resurrection of Christ, we have life when we put our faith and trust in him. This gospel never changes. It's always the same. The second thing it means is we had better not try to change it. We better not try to change it. The Bible talks about a, a kind of preaching that tickles the ears, a kind of church experience that, that just sort of uh, satisfies the entertainment longing of the human heart. The Bible talks about a time when people would rather follow after fables and myths of their own devising rather than to follow this gospel. This is why we're, we're reading about the authentic Gospel. We need to understand what the gospel is. See, the the gospel isn't just, I've got some helpful hints for you. I mean, I do have some, give me a call, but uh, that's not gospel per se. I mean, if you want to know the secrets of having communication in your marriage, give me a call, I read the book. I can tell you about feminine styles of conversation and masculine styles of conversation and why they don't meet and why they don't understand each other. And I can give you sort of helpful hints, especially to you guys, about how to actually hear what she's saying rather than what she's saying. <laughs> See, every one of you knows what I'm talking about. See, that's the point. You, know, you stand here, preach a sermon on it. You already know that. If you don't know it, you can buy the same book I bought. You know, or, or, you know, what we need is, is help with our finances and stewardship. The and Bible has wonderful principles about how to deal with money and deal with your finances. And I, I can give you all kinds of, of helpful hints on that. In fact, I'm a master of money. I just don't know where it goes, but I, you know, I know what it is. But, but you know, we, we could talk to you, but you, know, but you know, get out of debt, have a rainy day fund, have a, have a, a I, I like to call it water tower or reserve, always be putting money in. When you have to take money out, you always have something there. Well, buy a car, pay it off, make a payment to yourself, build up a car fund, buy the next car with cash. I can tell you all that, but you can too. You can read the same book I read. That's not gospel. It's helpful, but it's not gospel. Here's what gospel is. Jesus Christ died for your sins by the will of the Father. That never changes. I read it in the book. You can read the book too. But That's what the preaching of the gospel is. And so it's by the will of God. It's according to the will of God. That means it never will change. It means we had better not change it. And it means that's all there is. You know, it's not as though God said, I've got this plan of salvation, and I'm going to offer it to you for approval. And I'm going to have 30 days for public comments to be made. Uh, here's the address. Here's the email. Uh, send in your comments. We'll read about what you think of this gospel. We'll tweak it here. We'll come up with a book of regulations and so that now we can have my gospel, but then we'll add to it the improvements that you bring to it by your suggestions. No, that's it. There's not more that you have to do beyond the cross of Christ and coming by faith. All to Jesus I surrender. That's the gospel. And that's according to the will of God the Father. We, we touch here on the, on the Trinity. Um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So many ways to think about that. We, we won't go into it, but just, you know, understand you, you don't know who God is. You cannot know who God is. John one eighteen says, no one has seen the Father. No one knows who God is. I mean, th- th- really, you, you, you think you could know God? Take all the knowledge of all the theologians who have ever lived. Take all that knowledge and, and pile it together. Now you've got all this knowledge of God. Even if it's true, it's not going to be even the smallest pinprick on the surface of the vastness of who God really is, much less penetrate deeply into who he is. So you don't know God. John 1, 18 says, No one has seen the Father, but the only begotten, the Son of God. says he has declared who he is. He has explained him to us. In other words, when we see Jesus, the Son of God, that's how we know God. That's how we know the Father. That's why we know the Father through the Son and only through the Son. Got that? So we know the Father through the Son, but you know, most people who see Jesus, they never see the Son of God. Why do we see him? Why do we know he's the Son of God? It's because the Holy Spirit has revealed him to us. The Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, opens our eyes to see that this Jesus is the Son of God, and when we see Jesus, we are looking straight into the Father. And we know the Father. So we know the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That, Very very briefly, that's doctrine of the Trinity. God beyond us, God with us, God within us. Um, very briefly. So that's what we're talking about, uh, talking about. So Paul says that in this gospel, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us according to the will of our God and Father. So those two aspects of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins according to the will of God. But the third part of it, and you guess what it is, I I just sort of passed over it quickly a a moment ago. But he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. This is why we've been given the gospel. This, This is what it results in present evil age. Man, isn't that sort of old fashioned? Talk about the present e- evil age. Isn't, isn't that the guy in the soapbox with the sign? Present evil age, doom, doom, doom. Or, or, or it's the guy who trolls on the internet and he, and, he, and he writes in all capital letters, doom, 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 present evil age. Well, let me tell you who's, who, who, who one of the guys is who says this, that this is a present evil age. They came to Jesus and they asked for a sign. You remember what he said. Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Now, you don't need to be a biblical scholar. You know this. I'm just reminding you of it. Jesus lived in Palestine. He lived in the land of God's people. And in fact, the society in which he lived was Jewish. Jewish. It was God's chosen people. In other words, Jesus lived in the society, in the social circles of the very people who knew God, loved God, knew his word, loved his word more than anybody else on the planet. And it is of that Jewish culture that Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation. He didn't say it about the Romans. Could have. He could have said it about the Greeks. He could have. He might even have referred historically to the Babylonians or to the Assyrians. He could have, but he referred to the people right next to him who thought they had it all together. This is the most moral society in the world. And he said, an evil and adulterous generation. Why do we think he would have any less an assessment on our world today? Look, folks, I love this land. I I love our nation. I love our country. I thank God I am a, a citizen of this nation. Um, and, uh... I don't say that to exalt the nation above others, you know, and, and all that. I'm just saying God put me here, and I'm just thankful he did. I'm thankful for the, for the liberties we have. I'm thankful that we don't have guards posted at the door to warn us when the police are coming. I'm just thankful that we can carry our Bible still in most places and, uh, and, and you know, and not be thrown into jail for it. I'm, I'm thankful for those things. I'm concerned about some other things. So, this is a great country, but let me tell you something. We are not better than anybody else. We're not worse than anybody else. We're the same as everybody else because we are a human society, and that means we are inhabited by our sin. We live in a present evil age. That's why as you go through this coming week, you're going to be pulled in all kinds of directions. You're going to go out of here today, and you're going to say, man, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for God by faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to walk in the Spirit. Everything I do this coming week is going to be for the glory of God, for the glory of God. And before you get to your bed tonight, you have been sucked back into the world. You'll see something on television, hear something on the radio. You'll come across something on the Internet. And before you know, you'll be thinking just like everybody else. You know, I've got to have this. I've got to have that. Your morals will be reshaped because after all, you don't want people laughing at you. And we live in a present evil age, Jesus died to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness. Jesus died to deliver us from our trespasses and sins. Jesus died to deliver us, to set us free from being shackled to the world, chained to the morality of our society, having to go along like thoughtless creatures It's going to say livings, but that would if, well, if you know what a lemming is, you know what I'm talking about. You know, we, we, you know we, we are not chained to our world. We have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. He delivers us. We used to be trespassers. Now we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We used to be rebels. Now we are soldiers in the army of God. We used to be strangers and aliens. Now we are the children of of God. He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, into the kingdom of light. This is what Jesus has done. We are no longer a part of the present evil age. Beloved, you are set free. You don't have to abide and harbor and go along with all those prejudices you were taught when you were younger. You don't have to have the same bigotries that surround our world and surround our society and just fill the air. You don't have to breathe the air of bigotry any longer. You don't have to be chained to the excuse-making victimization mentality that so inhabits our society today. You've been set free from that. You've been delivered from this present evil age by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's good news. That's the gospel for you today. So those those three things about the gospel that, that Paul highlights here. Jesus died for your sins. He's already mentioned the resurrection. Whenever you think of the cross, think of the empty tomb. But Jesus died for our sins, according to the will of the Father, to set us free from this present evil age. Now, very quickly let me um, pin this together on either side of this, verse 4. In verse 3 he says, grace to you and peace from God. This isn't just Howdy. Now you understand what the word grace means. Now you understand that grace isn't a word that we stick into a nice song so we can play it to bagpipes. This grace costs the blood of the Lamb. This grace cost God something to give it to us. This kind of grace poured into your life. Beloved, this morning as we've been talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, And for you, it has always been an intellectual thing. It's always been a head knowledge thing, but you've never come to the point where you ask Jesus into your heart as your Lord and as your Savior. It is grace. It is grace that moves your heart. It's the grace of God that's touching you right now and telling you, you need this, Jesus. You don't understand it all? Join the club. None of us do. But you need this Jesus, and that's the grace of God calling you, calling you. So it's grace, and and that's the marvelous thing about the gospel. Grace to you and peace, peace with God. Grace to you, but then look at uh, verse 5. Grace to you, verse 5, to whom, that is to God the Father, be the glory forever. And ever. Grace to you, glory to God. What does that say? That says we're back where God meant us to be all along, living by the grace of God, giving glory, honor, and praise to God entirely. That's the gospel. The gospel, it, ultimately, the gospel is not about about making you a better, well-adjusted human being. The gospel is about your life experiencing the grace of God to give glory to the Father in heaven through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the gospel is all about. And until you get to that point where your life is giving glory to God, you really haven't experienced the entirety of the impact of the gospel in your life. All right, so that's, that's authentic gospel. Let me make one application Last week, I had three applications. I only got to one of them. So this week, I only wrote one to start with. <laughs> Let's be intentional about this gospel. Let's be intentional. In other words, rather than just coasting through our lives, you know, we do a little of this, we do a little that, we do a little, oh, it's Sunday, we go do gospel stuff. Now it's Monday, we do a little of this, a little of that. Oh, it's Sunday again, we do gospel Let's be a little more intentional about it. Let's wake up in the morning just praising God that he loves us the way he does in Jesus Christ. Let's go through the day giving him the glory that every breath we take is a gift from above and every place we go to has been prepared by God that we might serve, honor, and glorify him in it, that every person we meet has been put into our life that we might give honor and praise to the Father in some expression of the love of Christ for that person. Let's be intentional about the gospel. Let's latch onto it. Let's look for it. Let's long for it. Let's, let's strive for this gospel, this authentic gospel of what the Father has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, made known to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just be intentional about it because when we do, then our sins forgiven, set free from the world by the will of the Father, we give Him the glory for everything all the praise and the honor. And, you know, what, that, what that's going to do is that's going to take the background music of the holiness of God and turn it up a notch for all to hear. Amen. Let's pray together. And Father, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you, Father, for lifting us up out of the darkness It's setting us into the light. Thank you for the gospel. And Father, now may your Holy Spirit just descend upon us, fill every heart, capture our minds and our thinking, so that when we go out of this place, what we say, what we do, will have for its purpose to give you the glory for who you are and what you have done in Christ. Father, I thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.